In this series, we interview game changers from around the globe about digital ethics, online activism and social media. We get to know them, their stories and how they have harnessed one of the greatest phenomenons of our time. A little warning, most of our episodes are for adult ears only with frequent droppage of the F-bomb. I'm Roisin Bevan. And I'm Daisy Grant. And this is Harness. So... We've realised that we've barely introduced ourselves or said anything about who we are because we just thought only our mums would listen. Mm. Um, turns out we've had a few more listeners than just our mums. So cheers, guys. Yeah, Very thanks. nice. Thanks. thanks for that. Yeah, no, it's quite nice. We really love hearing how you're finding the podcast and we're really keen to get your feedback. So please email us, DM us, anything. If you have any comments or responses to the podcast so far, we'd love to hear it. Yes, so you can email us at projectharness at gmail.com or find us across all social media platforms at Project Harness. Except for Snapchat. Except for Snapchat. Uh, and as Daisy said, we've had a few uh, people get in touch just to let us know their thoughts and you're so welcome and we love hearing it and we'd love to know who's listening a few people have contacted us being like yeah who are you (laughs) (laughs) how do you know each other um i don't i don't really know you yeah but do you know me (laughs) that's the question okay so i thought it would be interesting amusing amusing if we gave a brief history of each other i just want you to give a little timeline of my life Okay. And later on, we'll talk about how I've we not, met. just to be clear, I've not heard any of this and I've not prepped on anything. <laughs> and I'm a little bit hungover. So this <laughs> could go terribly wrong. But also, that's kind of the point. All right, hit me. Do you want me to go first? Yes, okay, but you're gonna... absolutely going to outdo me because you've like fucking prepared shit. Haven't no, you? I haven't prepared shit. How the, I, how, I haven't prepared anything. Oh, God. But also, we've had to, we've known we were going to do this. We were meant to do this last week and oh, I prepared I'm and Roshan so didn't. Sorry. So I'm. Also, this is the first time in my life that I'm more prepared than Roisin, so it's really funny watching her fall apart (laughs) in front of my very eyes. Okay, so Roisin was born in Darwin. Yeah, no, yeah. So Roisin was born in Darwin, has a sister. Uh, She was born to John and Helen. Um, They met when they were were quite young. Helen was traveling. Well, I don't know why I know your parents' life, but I'm going to, because it's funny that you don't know anything about mine. <laughs> they were, tra- she was traveling from Ireland, right? And they met, lovely, preggers, had two kids. You got Sinead and Roisin. Stunning. I don't know at what point you moved to Perth, but at some point you did. Moved down to Perth. Then Roisin went to, in my mind, you went to a couple of different high schools, did you? Roisin went to a couple of different high schools. Every birthday, your family posts really funny pictures of you as a kid. I lost all of my hair on the <laughs> sides, so I just had a mohawk. I've seen the pictures. They're iconic. So, Roisin went to university at Curtin University, which is where I met her. You did performance studies and a minor in sexology. Stunning. Um, I don't know if you were at uni when you met your now wife. I couldn't possibly tell you. Okay, we're going to say in the first year of her university life, she met her wife, Beck. Then about five years ago, they moved to London together. And now down the track, they're married and it's beautiful. That was pretty much bang on correct. Cool. Apart from my, and then I came to London and did my master's. <gasps> She got a master's in acting and now you're going to be in a play in a few weeks called When It Happens and everyone should go and see it. It's at the Tristan Bates Theatre from the 31st until the 3rd. I remembered those dates off the top of my fucking head. 
Am I a good You're friend amazing. or cool. You're amazing. You, on the other hand. Oh, God. <laughs> okay. Daisy was born in a little town outside of London. And she moved to Perth when she was 11 ish. 12 going on 13. 12 going on 13. And she moved with her mum. And her mum uh, is married to a lovely man called Graham. And uh, she has a younger brother and a younger sister. Daisy's the oldest um, of the siblings. High school, um, I, I, d- I can't remember, but I feel like Daisy's experience of high school was she didn't love high school, but I feel like she was popular. Were you popular? I wasn't. I loved high school. Did you? I wasn't. But I wasn't popular. I wasn't in the popular group. Mm. But I was friends with everyone. Daisy um, then went to Curtin University. Wait, can you just please highlight my highest achievement at high school? The he- you were head girl. I was head girl. <laughs> head girl. Daisy's actually really um, a really high achiever, and she does well at everything. She that's true that you set your mind to, so <laughs> it doesn't surprise me at all that you were head girl. As Daisy said, we met at Curtin University, and Daisy, more interesting than doing performance studies, is a bloody historian. I met her when she actually did an audition for me, and I cast her in a show. And I, the first time I laid eyes on Daisy, I was like, that girl's cool and I want to get to know her. And then Daisy and I have always said that we would work together. But Daisy, at the, around the same time that I moved to London, Daisy moved abroad as well, but she went to Edinburgh. And so we found ourselves uh, together in London. So that was the impetus to get this ball rolling uh, because we love working with each other. We're very direct with each other. We tell each other when stuff isn't working or when we sound shit. Uh, We hold each other to task. Mainly Roisin holding me to task, to be fair. That's a lie. (laughs) Um, And we love it. And we're very, very, very uh, grateful for the support that we've had uh, about this podcast so far. We don't quite know how we made it into Apple's new and noteworthy. That's like going to remain a mystery, like Stonehenge mm. or another mystery yeah. that I can't think of off the top of my head right now. <laughs> the Blair Witch Project. Where did they go? Where did they go? I don't understand. Also, just for people who are going to be obsessed with our friendship story, which I think is absolutely going to happen. <laughs> when I first saw Roisin, she was on stage and I was like, whoa. This girl's amazing. I love her. And then when I went to do this audition, it was the first audition I'd ever really, it was my first proper audition. And it was in front of a whole class of like 20 people. So it was really scary. And I saw you in the audience and I was like, oh my God, it's that girl from that play. And then I got a phone call from you saying that you'd, you wanted me to be in your play. And I was like, oh my God, I really hope it's that girl from the play that I saw. And it was. Oh, isn't it? It's lovely. Daisy's lovely. Oh, Rasheen, you're lovely. What else? Do we have any other fun facts? No, I've got some questions for I you. I think the fact that Daisy's a historian is so cool. Stop it. I think the fact that you're a fucking phenomenal actor. Rasheen is actually the best actor. Shut up. I'm not Daisy. even kidding. Rasheen is such a good actor. Right it's now, ridiculous. I'm acting as a human woman person. <laughs> you're doing, And you're doing such a fine job. I've been acting as a podcast host lately, and it's so weird. Yeah, that's what I've been doing too. It's strange, isn't it? <laughs> what we like. I've got some questions for you. Okay. You ready? Mm-hmm. Uh, what shoe size are you? Well, four in the UK, six in Australia. 
I'm four and a half in the UK. That's why. Why don't we you share li- shoes? We do, darling. You've given me some shoes. What shoes? Oh, I did give you some shoes. Yeah. The, the silver trainers. Yeah. Did you throw them? Yeah. Fair. <laughs> Would you rather go for a cycle through a forest or play on a bouncy castle if I gave you both options outside right now? Oh, uh, cycle through forest. Yeah, it's been too nature. hot for a bouncy castle, isn't it? Today? Yeah. And I think, no, I mean, I love London because it's actually quite a green city, mm. but I do love nature. Nature. Would you rather <laughs> one of your nostrils was completely covered by a plaster at all times or you could never take off your socks? <gasps> oh, socks, I think, because... You'd, you'd rather... Le- you'd rather keep your socks on yeah. always yeah i think so i think Even i would the beach. get oh i mean it would be upsetting i'm not going to say yeah. I'd, I'd be happy to have socks on all the time but mm. to have one nostril <laughs> covered i think i'd just get so i get very locked on to things so if i if and when things aren't even it really kills yeah, me yeah that would because you're a perfectionist yeah machine's a perfectionist that's another thing you should know about her that's true and so yeah no, that would really upset me. Okay. Oh, kind of an I can't stress bear you out. the thought of it. Okay. Daisy, mm. what is your most favourite period of history to study? Thank you for asking that question, Roisin. My favourite period of history to study is the early modern period. So we're talking 1500 to 1700. My favourite historical figure, which I know you didn't ask, but I'm going to tell you anyway. Afra Ben. Everyone should look her up. Her name is spelled A-P-H-R-A. B-E-H-N. Afroben. You've... I've told you about her, haven't I? Tell me again. Oh, my God. First woman in British history to earn a living as a writer. She was a spy for Charles II. And the reason that she had to become a writer was because she didn't pay her taxes when she was, or something like, she didn't pay her taxes when she was spying abroad for Charles II. And so when she got back, she had all these fines or whatever. So she had to like make money quick. And she she blew up because she wrote like a man. Mm. But she also had like really brilliantly feminist content. It was nuts in like the mid 1600s. And she wrote this one poem called The Disappointment. And it's talking about this woman who's yearning for this man and they, fall into a passionate embrace and have sex and she's it was shit she writes about how disappointing men are (laughs) so fucking good i had this comment from some trump supporter guy and basically he just said something really horrible i'm ashamed to admit that it literally ruined my entire day our first episode this week features badass brown activist known simply as end to her followers She's based in Mumbai and uses Instagram and Twitter as platforms to explore intersectional feminism and LGBTQIA plus issues. Though crucially, she remains anonymous. It's not safe for her to come out as a bisexual woman and activist. Instagram has censored her on a number of occasions. We spoke to her a few months after India decriminalized consensual homosexual sex. Society's mind is not going to change overnight. I think this is really going to uh, need a lot of effort from us. It's something that is going to have to continue just sexuality education from school level to tell people that this is nothing different. Like we are just who we are. She gives us an insight into how homosexuality was policed before the repeal. Roisin and I both live in London and remarked at the time how safe this city feels for LGBTQI plus people. 
After the news story went viral recently of a female same-sex couple who were beaten on a Camden bus by a group of men for refusing to kiss, the irony of our comments struck us and was a harsh reminder not to be complacent in our activism. I think what I'm getting at is that accounts such as badass brown activists are so important. She reminds us that the fight is very much real. She takes the time to uplift the voices of marginalised people, expose injustices and educate. We feel so honoured to have Skyped her in Mumbai from London. She was so sweet and kind. We really hope you enjoy this episode. Here she is. Thank you so much for talking to us today. We are so excited to talk to you. But what's happened? Can you tell us you've disabled your account in the last few days? Yeah, uh, so I have temporarily deactivated it. And uh, thankfully, I mean, it's not taken down my Instagram or anything. And I do plan to come back to it in a day or two. Uh, Now, since the last five or six days uh instagram kept banning me from liking posts okay so like every time i would like to try to like a post it would show me action blocked and that dialog box would pop up and uh, usually that ban lasts for around 24 hours but uh, every time the 24 hours would get over and i would like one more post and they would ban me again that's so strange how does that make you feel you know what? Honestly, I'm I'm disappointed, but not surprised because Instagram has targeted activists and feminist accounts for like the longest time. I'm not the only person this has happened to. I remember you um, saying on your backup page, you were asking if you think that because activist was in your handle, that was why you were being targeted. Is that what you're thinking yes. is the case? Uh, I do think that is very possible because, you know, I'm sure that Instagram does um, target some words, like not just in usernames, but even in hashtags, hmm. like Uh, when I stopped using hashtags like feminism and activism in my posts my engagement increased wow how bizarre so they're literally like blocking your outreach even though hashtags are meant to bring people in exactly it's like it's having the opposite effect because they they're purposely trying to silence people with that kind of agenda you know well that's really interesting particularly in the context of what we're talking about because on one hand instagram gives this incredible platform for digital activism like what you do but -hmm. on the other hand they have this as you say this agenda or it would seem of actually silencing people which is hugely problematic particularly when you're coming from minority groups when you're representing feminist groups yeah and you know what Uh, it's not even just the fact that they're silencing me but the fact that they continue to support other accounts which actually should be taken down you know exactly if people are disturbed by this do you know what they can do how can they support you how can they support your account and and reach out to instagram is there anything that people can do you know what i think it's really it all depends on chance like i have seen cases where people whose accounts got deleted they asked their followers to reach out to instagram then somehow instagram did respond and restore their accounts but there were other cases where absolutely nothing came of it well that's that's really interesting and we're sorry that that's what you're having to deal with right now because we do love your account pretty amazing what you're doing yeah and you're an educator educators sometimes have radical opinions but someone has to taking a few steps back when your account invariably is up and running again or you know you'll keep keep on going and making new ones and new ones for people Uh who aren't following you can you give us a little bit of a brief rundown about your account and and what you do on it if i had to describe my account to somebody who hasn't followed me uh, for a while I would just probably say that um, I talk about all sorts of minority issues so you're intersectional feminism since that's a pretty umbrella term 
And you have some really high-profile followers as well. There's some incredible people who are following you and sharing what you've got to say. And it seems like you've kind of tapped into a void in the market, I suppose, much-needed voice. What do you personally see as your role on Instagram? Like, what are you trying to do? I am honestly there to make people think. That's as simply as I would put it, because I have received so many messages over my months on this account saying, you know, you have opened my eyes to these issues, which I never thought existed. So, you know, thanks for making me think. And yeah. I'm happy if if that's all I managed to do. If I make a few people think, I'm happy with what I'm doing. Yeah. You know? yeah. And do you get messages from all kinds of people? Is it mainly women? Is it mainly brown women? Who, who's messaging you? Who's reaching out to you? Initially, I had women from all over the world and uh, primarily from the US, but uh, I started posting more India-centric content. That's so great. yeah, that's my demographic. I would say brown women largely, but also a lot of women all over the world. Yes, absolutely. Would you be comfortable sharing with us this anonymity that you have online? You don't use your, your name on, on Instagram. You're just uh-huh. known by N and Badass Brown Activist. And is that a, uh-huh. a conscious uh, choice? Is that to protect yourself? Can you tell us a little bit about that? The fact is I get a lot of hate. You know, I don't want to make it easier for haters to say, find my Facebook profile or find my mm-hmm. personal Instagram and target me over there. I want to keep my activism just within this account you know I also talk about this account with people in real life so if my if my first name was on it it would be easy for people who know me in real life to find it but this way I can control whom I choose to share it with yes and I think that is so important which kind of leads us on to the balance of social media it Mm. seems like you are maintaining those boundaries to protect yourself If you had advice for someone who was maybe struggling with their social media balance in their life, what would you say to them? Okay, so I'm going to be honest. I'm probably not the best person to give this (laughs) advice. I do feel the need to take a break from time to time. So that's probably the best suggestion I would give that, you know, try to detox yourself like maybe once in a week. Just reset your brain a little bit from the whole social media thing. But I imagine it's particularly hard for you because it's emotionally taxing when you've got this platform and you you feel like you've got these followers. You want to tell them what you're discovering and like what you're learning about and you want to share it with them. And I think that's really amazing and can imagine extremely difficult to balance. Because I know when I'm deep in like a feminist um, wormhole. Worm, exactly, <laughs> wormhole. That's the word. When you read about it so much, you're just so hyper aware of it constantly. And I think if I had an Instagram, I would be very overwhelmed because I just want to be posting all the time. How do you deal with haters and hate messages that you get how do you deal with that you know I feel like uh, I I got used to it with time honestly that's the best answer I can give you because initially when I first started growing and uh, attracting these kind of messages it would really affect me like you know um, for example one day I woke up and the first thing I did was check my notifications and I had this comment from some some Trump supporter guy and basically Mm. he just said something really horrible And I'm ashamed to admit that it literally ruined my entire day, you know. You're only human. I I don't think you should be ashamed to admit that at all. It's crazy. And you you often think, like, would you say that to me if we met face to face? Would you have the guts to say that to me? absolutely wouldn't. Yeah, exactly. They wouldn't. (laughs) 
I mean, it is, it's in crazy, the vitriol that can come at, I mean, anyone, but particularly women and women of colour is horrendous, you know, and it's, it's shocking. And no wonder it can affect you emotionally. I mean, you, you are, as Daisy said, you're a human being. And, yep. you know, I don't want to be called a slag at 9am by anyone. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. Let alone some bloody Trump know, supporter. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> In the morning, like, you don't well, need that. No one needs that. Yeah, no one needs that. Yeah. So what does your feed look like? I'm interested. Who do you follow? And I guess who who feeds your soul and makes you feel good in a world where you sometimes get hate thrown at you? So, well, of course, I do follow a lot of queer people. And uh, I prefer to follow more people of color rather than uh, too many white people, you know, because I feel like white people, obviously, they can't have an insight into the experiences of people of color so Mm. I prefer to follow people of color so I do try to follow caste activists as well because uh, Mm. as I've been trying to make my uh, activism more India-centric I have felt it was very beneficial to follow such people Mm. and of course besides the activism accounts I also love following artists you know queer artists and yes because it, it just brightens up my feed, you know, and makes it less heavy. Amazing. Definitely. Even though you were just saying, trying to make things less heavy. What is the aim of caste activism? Is that to break down the kind of social hierarchy that's in place there? Or could you yes. delve into that a little bit? I, I could give you a little bit of a loose mm-hmm. description. Base. So the caste system, you could say, is divided into upper castes and lower castes. Although mm-hmm. that's a very simplified version that I'm giving you. I personally am from an upper caste family. So in that case, I do have privilege, mm-hmm. which is why I, you know, I try to keep quiet about it. And uh, I, I try to listen to lower caste activists and Mm. amplified their voices Mm. absolutely so i guess in terms of you know for all the message for white people following brown activists or black activists or people of color or minorities is listen your message absolutely listen because you know what Uh, i always talk about this since intersectional feminism is my uh, emphasis i try to uh, emphasize that everyone has privilege in certain aspects like Mm. you know even me somebody who is a woman who is brown who is queer at the same time you know i'm light-skinned i come from a a fairly like financially stable family Mm. i'm upper caste so i do have privilege in those aspects So when it comes to those aspects of my identity, I try to take a step back, be silent and not talk about those issues. So I think everyone needs to examine their privilege and keep quiet about things that they can't talk about. I think that's beautifully said. Check your privilege. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about India, Mumbai at the moment and where feminism and LGBTQ plus rights are in India? So I would say that uh, India, or at least specifically the metropolitan cities in India, uh, do have a pretty thriving queer scene, you know. We have uh, various organizations and we have, uh, basically we do have a lot of visibility in the media. In the last five or six years especially, I have seen queer voices become quite amplified even in the mainstream media, which is pretty impressive to me. And now that uh, Section 377, which is which uh, which criminalized homosexuality, yes. has been uh, read down. Woo. When I heard about this, I was actually on public transport, and I was like crying. And the lady next to me was just like, "Oh, oh okay. my goodness!" <laughs> I remember seeing videos of people crying, and it just made me so emotional. Um, 
Daisy and I are both originally Australian and I think it's two years ago now that gay marriage was legalised in Australia. I think it's only been a, it's only been a year. Has it? It hasn't been very long because wow. I was in Australia at the time. Wow. So, you know, it's been decriminalised for a, a, a long time mm. but uh, it's only just been legalised in terms legalized. of marriage. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it was a, a huge step forward and it was so emotional and, and I think to... to, to I mean, decriminalisation is just such a huge, huge step. I can only imagine how emotional that would have been. It really was. And, you know, I feel like it was um, doubly emotional for Indian queer people because uh, the legislation on this has gone back and forth. Like, you know, they wow. decriminalised it and then they recriminalised oh, it and okay. recriminalised it again. So it's just like every time it got decriminalised, we weren't holding our breath. We were just like, you know what, it's just probably going to get recriminalized so this time uh when it was done like for real and they put in place a bunch of legal safeguards to ensure it can't be reversed that's when we realized it's for real you know and that moment it honestly gave me chills oh that's incredible how is it punishable and was that enforced see the enforcement no it wasn't really enforced much as far as i know but you know what the police would kind of use it to dangle it over people's heads to like scare them and uh, also I think to a certain extent it was just the principle of it like the fact that in 2018 you know you this was something that was criminalized it was so ridiculous it was part of the colonial hangover you know absolutely Absolutely. Uh, can you imagine gay marriage being legalized in India Uh, yes I think eventually it would be but uh, it's gonna be a while I don't think Mm. it's gonna happen for at least another 20 years if you ask me for sure I mean it was in the late 60s that homosexuality was decriminalized in the UK and then it's taken Mm. this long to get gay marriage over here so yeah you just never really know how long it's gonna take these process this process is a long but it is incredible as well the way that it does have such a ripple effect on society you know the UK decriminalized in the 60s I believe and then they've had Mm -hmm. civil ceremonies and civil unions for at least a decade and Mm -hmm. marriage for at least five years and it Mm -hmm. is just you know pretty much apart from the odd pig-headed comment it is a non-issue over here as much as possible that's not to say that that people in the UK don't have family issues and their own personal struggle coming out or, right, or being queer. But mm-hmm. in terms of society, there's a level of protection, you know, particularly in London. And, and I guess I am saying London-centric. You know, if you're in a tube and someone spits hate speech, gay hate speech at you, you can report them, you can call the police and it will be dealt with and it will be taken extremely seriously. So... Uh, you can see how those changes, um, those legislative changes do have everyday impact for people. Yeah, and uh, I mean, I think that's pretty amazing that uh, even though it has taken so long, that society is moving in that direction slowly Mm. but surely. Mm. So, you know, considering that we have finally decriminalized gay sex, I I hope that we can see the changes which you just described in India in the next few years, you know. Yeah, yeah. And how is it, you know, living as a queer intersectional feminist? Yes, you're getting these laws changing and the world is changing, but surely you're like, come on, guys, hurry up. Social change is so slow you know sometimes it can make you really impatient and um see I'll be, I'll be honest my personal experience has been pretty sheltered since I I'm bisexual okay and mm-hmm. uh, the thing is that I have so far only publicly dated men so I have a straight passing privilege I could say because yep. in public when people see me with my boyfriend you know they're just seeing two cis 
like people, a guy and a girl together and to them it's a straight relationship. Mm -hmm. So I won't pretend that it's the same thing as it would be if I were dating a woman because I'm sure that would be a whole other cup of tea, you know. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Is bi visibility a thing in India at the moment in Mumbai? Yeah, within the queer circles, yes, but not so much in mainstream society, you know, because uh, even when I came out to my mother, she is fairly metropolitan in her sensibilities, you know, it's not like she's very orthodox or old fashioned. Mm. But uh, even she kind of found it a little bit of a strange concept to wrap her head around and she had a lot of questions about it. So I wouldn't say that the average person knows much about what bisexuality is, even though you would think it's obvious it's not. Well, I mean, even over here, I think it's the same case. Mm. It's just like you're either gay, you're straight, you haven't chosen yet, you know. And once or you've... you're bloody greedy. Yeah, or once, <laughs> yeah, you pick, exactly. once, you, yeah, once you've picked a man, you're like, oh, you found the right one then, you know. Yeah. It's that whole r- rhetoric that gets kind of spouted. Which I guess Absolutely. is, um, you know, why social media, for someone who's who's living in a small town in Bangladesh to be able to see queer activists or be able to see someone online on the other side of the world and feel like oh that's someone who's like me I think Mm -hmm. that's what's special about social media in terms of that visibility you know which just definitely 10 20 years ago we wouldn't have been able to see ourselves reflected online Exactly, because you know what, honestly, I don't have that many queer friends in real life as well, because uh, I have a lot of social anxiety. So, you know, I don't socialize that much. So I don't really get to meet too many people out of that immediate circle that I already have, which, you know, just happens to be cishet people largely. So uh, social media has been like a haven for me, you know, to find people like me, to talk to queer people. And something as simple as exchanging jokes and memes about being queer, which I can't do with my straight friends, you know. Absolutely. Just to know that there's an existence of people who are like you. Exactly, yeah. And and I mean, the thing is, uh, we have uh, the Mumbai Pride Parade coming up uh, this weekend. Wow. And it's going to be my first one. So, oh, uh, and because, that's amazing. Yeah, yeah. I'm super excited. And because I've made so many friends through Badass Brown activists who are queers uh, living in Bombay, I'm so excited to like, meet them in real life. It's going to be so much fun. I'm so excited for you. You're going to have yeah. an amazing time. Daisy just yep. clutched her hand to her chest <laughs> and she was like, oh my God, that's so sweet. <laughs> so can I ask you about mental health and certain and anxiety? You seem to have find some solace online. Can you unpack that a little bit? Definitely. So I have uh, suffered uh, depression and anxiety for a long time now, I would say almost um, seven to eight years. And that was way before social media as we know it had taken off, you know, so Mm. I did feel very isolated because no one really seemed to understand. Like I had friends who were sympathetic, but there was a there was a limit to how much they could understand my experiences. But uh, then I became part of this online community where, you know, mental health is talked about as uh, openly as you would talk about something like school or hobbies or whatever. And um, as I started connecting with more people who were going through the same things as me, simply put, it made me feel less alone and it made me realize it's so common, so natural to feel this way, you know. 
So that really, that really took away that sense of isolation, which I was feeling about my mental health. That's amazing that, you know, I feel like that is a thing that we kind of understand as a younger generation is that it can remove that sense of isolation. Yeah, Yeah, because, you know, social media is a double edged sword. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't deny that. But uh, yeah, people just talk about the bad edge, you know, you got to look at the good edge as well. Why do you think online activism is so important? And how do we transfer it into the real world? So honestly, I would argue that online activism is as much part of the real world as on-ground activism is, you know, it's just Mm. in a different way. Mm -hmm. So, uh, of course, on-ground activism has its own merits and it uh, makes a lot more real-life changes, yes. But uh, I would say online activism plays a huge role because uh, where would that on-ground activism come from if people didn't know about those issues to begin with? It reaches people who didn't even consider that these issues need to be thought about. Mm -hmm. And then those people increasingly become passionate about these issues because they exchange ideas on social media and then they become part of on-ground activism. So it's part of the process. Mm -hmm. I'm just curious because I was thinking about, you know, this this sort of change or or that you had in, in college or the, all these ideas coming to you but there must be something about your personality which is opinionated and and is okay standing by your own voice uh, and people might feel like that's in contradiction with being socially anxious but were you a brave child were you what, what is it about you that kind of can put these opinions out into the world and say yeah these are my thoughts and I'm going to stand by it you know this is interestingly something that I have discussed in therapy as well and uh, my therapist has told me that a confident personality and a socially anxious personality contrary to popular belief can very much coexist you know Mm. so um, you could say that my real personality is the confident personality and it just the social anxiety just prevents me from you know showing that all of the time but uh, I would say that since I have this online platform where I don't have to deal with this anxiety of interacting with people in real life yeah uh it's it's easy to do it online you know because you don't have to talk to someone face to face how do i explain it i love that i really love that idea of you know you are the confident person it's the anxiety that's just an element of you yeah that's really beautiful yeah yes Mm -hmm. i love that are you on twitter yes i am We've had some really interesting opinions about Instagram versus Twitter with a lot of people saying that Instagram is nicer. But what do you think about that? Uh, Yes, I would say so because, uh, you know, on Twitter, I find that people are kind of constantly trying to flex their intellect (laughs) absolutely yeah it's like a pseudo intellectuals dream isn't it yep absolutely and on instagram on the other hand it's more casual so yeah and it's Mm. interesting as well because like you say you're you're purposefully curating a more activist driven feed on instagram and less so on twitter yet you're still getting attacked more on twitter i presume is that correct uh, honestly, I keep myself uh, relatively under the radar on Twitter mm. as compared to on Instagram. You know, on Twitter, I'm mainly just retweeting and liking stuff. I don't really tweet that much of my like my own words. So yeah, yeah, yeah. fair enough. Well, mm-hmm. it's been so lovely to talk to you. I really hope that your following just grows and grows and grows, and that Instagram <laughs> leaves the the hell away from your page. Instagram better I really stop. Hope so. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, because. <laughs> 
you know, you're damn cool and we love what you're putting out into the world. And we it's really important. Yeah, we really appreciate your um, your opinion and your perspective on things. It enlightens a lot more people than just us, which is incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Are you proud of yourself? Are you proud of what you've culminated in the community that you've brought together? Definitely. I feel, you know what, I, I used to find it a little... Uh, hard to actually say that out loud but now I really can say it I am proud Aww. of myself because I've worked really hard on it and I've achieved something pretty awesome I think yes I you, have. you have and you yeah we shouldn't be afraid to be proud of our achievements and we should stand exactly. up and be proud of what we've we are able to achieve you know and you yep. definitely should be proud I think it's hard for women to say that they're proud of themselves but you deserve to be proud thank you thanks for listening to this episode of Harness It would really help us if you could like, review, share, subscribe, follow, all that magical stuff. You know what to do. One more thing. We are proud friends of Rafiki Moema and the Carly Ryan Foundation. Both charities work tirelessly to help protect young people from harm and suffering. Support us by following the work of these amazing charities and, of course, each of the incredible guests we've had on the show. We'll include links in the show notes. Thanks for listening.